Okay, tonight is the last in our series for preparing for the Chagim. And what we want to try to accomplish tonight is to try to see the flow, call it the divine energy flow, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, and from Yom Kippur to Sukkot, from Sukkot to Hoshana Rabbah, Hoshana Rabbah to Simchas Torah. Now, truthfully, we would really need one class for each one of these, but this is, what can you do? <laughs> Yom Kippur is next week, so we're going to have to get it all, we're going to have to get it all in. But the the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, most people understand. But the connection from Yom Kippur to Sukkot to Hoshana Rabbah to Simchas Torah is not so self-evident. It's not so clear what is this holiday of Sukkot doing right after Yom Kippur. Because on the surface, the energy appears to be completely different. And and the reasons are completely different also. And it doesn't, just on the surface, it doesn't necessarily... Uh, it's not necessarily clear what the connections are. In Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah was saying God is King. Yom Kippur is about purification. What do they have in common? Well, okay. So that, okay, you could say that also we need to understand that. But at least we have the idea of the ten days of tshuva. And, on, and Rosh Hashanah, we said, Rosh Hashanah Yikatevu Yom Som Kippur Yikatemu so on Rosh Hashanah, we said on Rosh Hashanah, it is written, and on Yom Kippur, it is sealed. So already on Rosh Hashanah, like, there's an intrinsic bond between that. But like I said, it's not so clear what Sukkot, which has to do with the booths that we lived in the desert, well, why is it coming right after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? That's what we want to learn tonight. We want to learn this, this flow. And... Uh, we, we mentioned that one of the most beautiful ways to understand this is to remember that from Rosh Hashanah through Simchas Torah is 22 days. And that there are exactly 22 Hebrew letters. And just like we look at the flow of the Hebrew letters from Aleph Atav, or like we say in English, from A to Z, that means a, uh, a, a, a collective entity that is being bound together. When you say A to Z, it means from the beginning to the end, and it's all connected. So the same thing with Aleph Atav. So the fact that Rosh Hashanah through Simchus Torah's 22 days is telling us this is one divine flow. Now, we can even take it one step further that in order to describe why Rosh Hashanah is two days, not why, but what is the, the nature of these two days? So the Zohar calls it Yoma Arichta, one long day. That Rosh Hashanah is, is thought of as like one day, even though it's two, and we know that it's two, but there's an idea that they're, they're so connected, it's like one day. So we can take this idea and extend it one step further, and we can look at from Rosh Hashanah 
through Simchas Torah as a very long day. Because they're all absolutely connected one to, one to the next. So that's like going to be like the underlying theme of the evening. In, but also we're going to be learning specifically about Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Hashanah Rabbah and Sukkot as it were as individual holidays. But the underlying theme is that they're all connected and flowing into one another. I'll give you two beautiful uh, what I call Bremazim to this. Beautiful. That on Rosh Hashanah we blow a hundred blasts of the shofar. By tradition we blow hundred, even though from the Torah to fulfill your obligation you only have to hear thirty. But it's become tradition to blow a hundred times. And so the, the, a beautiful connection is that, and we'll understand this more, that the essence of the sukkah is the schach. That's the essence. That's sort of like Chabad, for example. There's no right or wrong here. Each community has their own customs. Chabad, they do not decorate their sukkahs. Except they might put one picture of the Rebbe, right? But they don't put decorations in the sukkah so, so that it will not be a distraction from the schach. Because the ikar is looking at the schach. Because the schach represents, I'll just say it in short, but we'll get into this more, the surrounding protective energy of God. And feeling like in the womb feeling totally uh, protected and God's presence hovering over us. So the numerical value of schach equals a hundred. So it's given over in Hasidut your suk, your enjoyment of sukkahs is as good as the energy you put into the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. How do we see that? That the hundred blasts of the shofar are transformed into schach of the sukkah. So they're both a hundred. So that's a beautiful remez. But, it, but what it's showing us is the connection. That it's... It, it, it's not that the sukkah is just placed where it is without any connection to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So already there's a, there's a hint that your, the joy that you have in sukkahs is proportional to the pouring out of the heart on Rosh Hashanah. Now a second beautiful allusion is from Yom Kippur to sukkahs. In Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol goes into the Holy of Holies and He brings in the incense, and this is like the, the high point of Yom Kippur, in a sense, because the the, the Kohen Gadol only went into the Holy of Holies once a year, 
So this obviously is a pinnacle moment. And he stays there while the, the ketorah, the incense, fills the whole Holy of Holies with a cloud. So it's asked in Hasidut, it's a, it's a, a, it's a, a theoretical rhetorical question. What happens to that cloud of Ketoret that was in the Beit, that was in the Holy of Holies? They're not asking really physically what happens to it. It obviously ultimately dissipates. But they want to know spiritually what, what happens to that pinnacle moment. So they answer very beautifully, that cloud of incense becomes the schach. Why? Is because along with the protective uh, surrounding energy that the schach represents, it also represents what are called the clouds of glory. So the cloud of smoke of the Qatar and Yom Kippur is transformed into the clouds of glory that are represented in the schach. So these are two very, very beautiful uh, allusions to the connections. They're not telling us the why yet, but they're just telling us these holidays are intrinsically connected. Okay? Now we're going to like step back a bit, and we'll get back to this theme. But now let's get into Yom Kippur a little bit. Okay? Obviously, we would need four sessions to talk about Yom Kippur properly. But what I'll try to give over is uh, perhaps maybe some teachings that you haven't heard. It's always good to review the things that we do know, but let's let's try to look at a few different angles. So the first thing is, we'll call it the level of soul that we reach on Yom Kippur. And different allusions to that. According to Hasidut, based on a, 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 a Midrash, Bereshit Rabbah. The soul is called by five names. Many of you have heard this before. But, and what Hasidut explains is not to, just that it's called by five names, that the soul is comprised of five levels. And these are Nefesh, the instinctual, behavioristic, level of soul, most connected to the physical body, the Ruach, which is connected to the emotional uh, state of a human being. Obviously I'm simplifying here. The Neshama is the intellectual component of the soul. The Chaya is the <clears throat> sometimes it's called the bridge between conscious and subconscious divine life force. Chai, chai means life. Chai. 
So it's connected to life force. Welcome. Now the first levels, Nefesh, Ruach, and Nesham, are all conscious levels. Chai is already going into the uh, superconscious. And then the highest level <coughs> of soul is called the Yechida, which means the unique point. Sometimes it's called the Pintala Yid. The unique uh, definition of who I am. But that is the divine spark that is in the soul. So there are five levels of the soul. Now this is alluded to in three different ways. The first one is that there are five prayers on Yom Kippur. It is the only time of the year that we pray five prayers. Every day we pray three. Shabbos and Yom Tov, including Rosh Hashanah, we daven four. Musaf. Only Yom Kippur has five prayers. The fifth one being Ne'ilah. So that already is telling us where we're going with Yom Kippur. That we're going to a place that no other day of the year reaches in this way. Other days reach other levels of the soul. But there's a level of the soul that's reached on Yom Kippur, the Yechida, especially during the Ila, that It, and it's accessible all the time. All five levels of the cell are accept, acceptable at all, accessible at all times. But uh, just like on Shabbos, we have a neshama yitera, an extra level of soul. The, the truth is, in a sense, we can access that anytime also. But it's most easy on Shabbos, and for most people. Even reaching the Neshama Yatera is not so simple. But it's built into Shabbos to allow us to experience this. So through the five prayers of Yom Kippur, it's helping us reach all the levels of soul. Now we see there's two other ways. During Musaf and Yom Kippur, there's a very, very special part called the Avoda where we follow the Kohen Gadol through his service in the Temple on Yom Kippur. It's really a very, very amazing part of, of uh, Musaf. There's really no other comparable component of prayer that you can point to that we actually try to visualize and follow the Kohen Gadol as he does his service in the temple. It's a very, very, very beautiful part. And this is where we bow down on Yom Kippur, because that's what we did in the temple. That's where the bowing down comes. So as part of that whole service, the Kohen Gadol goes to the mikvah five times. Five times in, in, in the time of the temple, and we read it. 
on Yom Kippur. He goes five times. Again, to reach all five levels of soul. And then the other hint is more of a, call it a halachic hint. Those are the five prohibitions that we have on Yom Kippur. There are five things that were prohibited. Eating and drinking, bathing, anointing with oil, wearing leather shoes, and marital relations. These are the five prohibitions. But what are these five prohibitions doing? They're allowing us to access the five levels of soul. It's just a, yeah. Those prohibitions Don't 100% quote me, but I believe that they are. Why? Because it says in the Torah that you're supposed to um, uh, afflict your soul on Yom Kippur. That's what it says. And the rabbis explain, well, what does afflict your soul mean? And they answer with these five prohibitions. So I think from that that if they're not all considered um, de'oraita, the rabbis found it uh, based on the what the, the Torah says that you have to afflict your soul. So I have, I, uh, you'll have to pardon me that I don't, I don't know exactly, but I would say that they are. Okay? But I, I will myself try to make sure here. Okay? Why did it say afflict your soul? All these prohibitions is afflicting the body. Or or is soul in this case defined as the as the three names of, of the soul which which are connected with the body? Well the it, it says afflict your nephesh. And the nephesh, remember, is the, the first level of soul, which is most connected to the body. Okay? But what it does is the same thing with Shabbos. Shabbos has all of these, has all of these um, prohibitions as well. Lots of prohibitions. Um, is there room over there? Good. So it's the same thing with Shabbos. Shabbos, you can't do this, 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 you can't do this. And it's all connected to malacha, to work, and everything. So it gives us our, allows our body to rest. But the result of that is the soul is now free to to um, we're more aware of the upper levels of soul. The soul is more accessible to us. 
So it's the same thing with Yom Kippur. I mean, you have a very good point. These five things, well, these are all physical things. But by not doing these physical things, it allows the soul, in a sense, frees the soul from certain bonds to the body. And even though in Yom Kippur, we, you know, we get hungry and we get thirsty and this and that, but there are those moments of a feeling like lightheaded in a good way and, and a, a certain clarity that because we're not we're not a slave to our our physical desires and also allows us to to plug in to the strength of the soul as we'll see about Ni'ila time because we, we tend to think we're so uh, c- uh, connected to eating, we don't eat three times a day. We eat like eight times a day, right? <laughs> Between coffee breaks and tea breaks and snacks and this and that and, and midnight snacks, and we're like we don't realize how connected. Once a year, it's a disconnect, and it allows the neshama to really access other levels of soul. So this this is very very connected because the fifth prayer on Yom Kippur Ni'ila is the one that's really unique because we do daven four times many other times during the year, but only once a year do we daven a fifth prayer Ni'ila, and this is something I'm sure everyone can relate to. Is right usually around Mitha time. People experience a drastic drop of blood sugar, and you know, in a typical shul, you walk in at mincha time, and like you know, a third of the people have their heads on the table, and you know, it's like there is this, there is this this drop. Let's have a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there really is this drop of energy. And, and a lot of people feel very drained, and this is especially after having davened, um, you know, since eight o'clock in the morning. But what happens in the ila? An amazing thing happens. Everyone gets this incredible burst of energy. True. It's like. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the typical, you know, picture of uh, you know, so someone sees their child about, you know, to be uh, trapped under their car. And they go and they, they lift up the car. I mean, like, under no ordinary circumstance, it would be totally impossible. But it's an emergency. All of a sudden, the body has that kind of power. Well, the soul also... And the ila is one of the, the primary times to tap in to that fifth level of soul. That's the echida. That's that unique point of strength that we have all the time. We have it all the time. But most of the time we just, we're unaware of it, we're unconscious, or we don't have enough uh, self-confidence that we could actually um, 
release that energy. But, you know, at the end of, of uh, Ne'ilah, so we're, we're shouting, Shema Yisrael, like everyone is like, and then three times, Baruch Shem, like the shul is like shaking. And then seven times, Hashem, Hu Elohim, Hashem, Hu Elohim. And in many places, people are screaming at the top of their, their lungs. So this is the, this Pintalayid. This is that, that point of strength that we have all the time. Now we're told with all of the holidays, all of the holidays, the message of all the holidays are applicable all year round. It's not just on Pesach that we think about freedom and our appreciation to God and what it means to be a people and all of that. And it's not just on Hanukkah that we think of, of, of Jewish history and light and all that represents. And it's not just on Rosh Hashanah that we do tshuva. All of these lessons are for the whole year. So this, these moments at Ne'ilah, like if we could bottle them, <laughs> and then when we need it, just you know, go to our Ne'ila bottle and just take a swig, right? We'd be in good shape. We'd be good. Because it's not meant to be a, a, a fleeting moment. It's supposed to awaken in us a tremendous strength. Now, there's a beautiful image that we learned from Dr. Shlomo. And he was quoting one of the Hasidic rabbis. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you which one. It's really one of my f- favorite images. Ne'ilah means to lock, to close. What is the image? The image is, and everyone knows this from our own lives, without a deadline, without target dates, almost everyone procrastinates. Everyone knows that from school, from professions, whatever. A paper due, a project due, something, by, by nature we're going to procrastinate. And then, but the, the target date is actually a, a tremendous uh, uh, positive thing, because it gets the job done. So that's the image of Ni'ilah. We all know we can do tshuva 365 days of the year. But we're also told that from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is, is like the easiest. It's the most uh, auspicious time. And we should grab that opportunity. So Ne'ilah is telling us the gates are not open forever. They are, but they're not. It's a bit of a paradox. So we have this image of the closing of the gates. So that's where the, the soul awakens, is like, this is my last chance to say what I want to say. This is my last chance to, to really accomplish what I've been trying to accomplish for the last 10 days, or going back to Rosh Hashanah. This is it. So that gives the soul tremendous strength to, to meet the deadline, right? 
But Rav Shlomo said, you know, if you really think about it, it's really a jarring image. Here we've been davening to Hashem, we've been getting up and doing slichot, we're, we're looking inside of our neshamas, we're doing introspection. And the, and the culmination of all of this is God shuts the door in our face and the gates close. He said, this is a very jarring, almost shocking image to go to leave Yom Kippur. The gates are being closed in your face. So one of the Hasidic rabbis explained like this. He says, what's the, the real image? Is that Hashem comes to each and every neshama during the Elah and says, you know, I've been very busy today, right? At judging the whole world. And I've been hearing your davening. But I want you to know, I want to give you a private audience. Now, now is your chance for a private audience. So come in the gate and close it behind you. And we'll just have a private discussion. I remember, I'll never forget when, I, when he first told us this. It was like, wow. Wow. What a, what a difference. The gates are closing. But behind us, and we're inside. Since Rosh Chodesh Elo, we've been saying the psalm of David. There's one thing I ask of you, God. The Ota Avakesh, and that I will I will ask of you. Shifti Hashem, call Let me sit in your house all the days of my life. So that's what this image is. You know, as we end Yom Kippur, we're inside. And that's where we stay. Who's there's no mention of going back out. We stay inside. This is the Yechida in the soul. This is the experience of the spark of God that is within us, the divine spark. This is an awesome image, yes. Does that, would that translate then to the Sukkah being us inside and that's what the movie looks like that we're talking about beautiful absolutely beautiful that's another illusion or hint that according to how we're davening in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur that, that is what is making our sukkah so right so if we end Yom Kippur inside and surrounded then that's exactly what our sukkah is going to be. We're surrounded in the sukkah by God's energy. That's very nice. Very, very good. This notion that neither time we're going to where God is and closing the door behind us. Does this come automatically? No, you have to work really hard. <laughs> no, really, you have to... 
you have to, you have to work really really hard to go into that gate, Anila. How do we know if we're inside? Like, is there a certain feeling that one has? A certain yeah. aura or something? Yeah. If you if you're inside, you'll know it. No, 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 this is an awesome, awesome teaching. It's, I guess one of the Hasidic Rebbe's, Rav Shlomo, uh, explained it to us. No, because if, we're, if, in a sense, if we're not on the level, we won't hear God saying, come in for the private audience. And how do we hear it? It's the culmination of that, of everything from Rosh Hashanah. It's all building up to being able to feel close to Hashem. I don't know if you remember, I think you were here, when I mentioned that someone once asked Rabbi Shlomo, what are we trying to accomplish bottom line on Rosh Hashanah? After all of the davening, what are we supposed to be thinking about? Where are we supposed to be emotionally, spiritually, psychologically? And he said, you know, it sounds like almost too simple, but it, it's, it's so true. He said the bottom line is that on Rosh Hashanah I say to Hashem, Rabbana Sha'ilam, I want to be so close to you. Let me be close to you. Help me be close to you. That's all I want. Shifti Bebet Hashem, call you yeah. I love the image on the gate. It's like a gate and being on the death side of the gate. And just probably the imagery is lacking to continue it into support. Just to mm-hmm. the thread. It's also got that inside outside dichotomy going on. What's the inside? What's the outside? What's the real thing? What's the real structure? What's not the real structure? Ah. Okay. It, it kind of mirrors. I'm just no, 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 I hear it. I hear it. Because the whole thing is we go outside to make our sukkah, and yet we're inside the sukkah. Is that what you meant? Even more than yeah, that. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay, but let's hear it. That the outside is the inside. In other words, we're not excluded from being sheltered. We are really being sheltered. Ah, we're not okay. locked out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that is the experience in the sukkah. Your mom is on the inside of the inside of the inside. That's very true. Actually, now that you said that, um, I'm just going to jump in here with also a beautiful image of following from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Sukkot through to Simchot On Rosh Hashanah, See, each one, each one of these holidays has an inside and an outside aspect. And it ties them all together. On Rosh Hashanah, the, the davening is like inside. But the mitzvah of the day is to blow the shofar, which is an energy going out. It's like the, 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 the sound waves are going into the world, the, the, the shofar is coming out. So there's an inside, but the, the main thing is really the outside, is the, is the shofar. On Yom Kippur, 
So the, the action is this. This is the action. It is like everything, we're trying to pull everything inside, and yet our prayers were like pouring out our heart. Pouring out our hearts. Then Sukkot comes and unifies these. Because how do we how do we shake the Lulav and Etra? Shake it out, and then we bring it in. Shake it out, and then we bring it in. That's the whole. So that so Sukkot is, and this I'll, I'll, I'll say it now. The most essential connection that why Sukkot is placed right here is that on Rosh Hashanah, uh, do you remember the song? Um, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands he's got the whole wide world. In his hands he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world in his hands. So on Rosh Hashanah, we're saying to Hashem, it's like, it's all in your hands. I just want to do your will. Um, it's just all in your hands. The books are open. It's all in your hands. Sukkot comes, and God says to us, it's true. It's all in my hands. And he hands us, as it were, the Arba meaning and says, but it's in your hands too. So the whole of Sukkot, the whole action is we're holding the Arba meaning and hopefully we'll get to it. We'll see the Arba meaning um, correspond to the four letters of God's name, Yudkei Vavkei. And even in the Kavana that we say before, we say that. We say that by taking these Arba meaning, it should unify your name. But we're doing the shaking. So the explanation is like this. On Rosh Hashanah, the, uh, it, okay, this is a, this is a good time. Hand these out. So. <clears throat> when you get one, look in the top right hand corner. Now, as we discussed before. God's name has four letters, but in Kabbalah, the tip of the Yud is considered a level of its own. That's why even though we talk about four Kabbalistic worlds, Atzilut, which is emanation, Bria, which is creation, uh, Yitzira, which is formation, and Asiya, which is action. According to the Arizal, there's really a fifth world, one that's even higher than Atsilut, called Adam Kadmon. So, if you look in the right-hand corner, 
This shows what we'll call the hishtalshalut, the descent of the energy starting with the first day of Rosh Hashanah until Simchas Torah is going through the letters of God's name. But they're actually, it's, it's becoming more and more concrete. That's the key to understanding the connection between all of the holidays. The first day of Rosh Hashanah is just the tip of the Yud. It's like way, way up there. Way up there. The only word we can use is it's ethereal. The energy of the first day of Rosh Hashanah is ethereal. The whole year, it's like the seed. That's why the tip of the Yud is like a seed. And we're told that the whole year is being, in a sense, decided upon. And the energy of the whole year is, is being f- formulated in the seed. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, it's filtering down to the Yud. A Yom Kippur, it filters down to the hay. And I'll explain a little bit. Again, the tip of the Yud, the tip of the Yud is the seed of the year. The whole Yud, the Yud always relates to Chachma, wisdom. What do we say every morning? Kulam the Chachma Hasita. You made everything in Chachma. So the second day of Rosh Hashanah is the seed is already being planted and everything that will come out of the seed is going to be created in Chachmah. Yom Kippur corresponding to the upper hay, the upper hay is Bina. And Bina always relates to Ima. And Ima always relates to Tahara. Chachma is Kedusha, holiness. And Bina is Tahara. So that's why Yom Kippur, that's why there's a minhag in most communities that everyone goes to the, to the mikvah before Yom Kippur. Only once a year do we do this. And... I mean, the mikvah is usually at night, women go, and during the day, men go. And men who, who don't go the whole year, for once a year they go before Yom Kippur, and many women, depending on their status in life, only go once a year. So this is connected to purity. And that's what we say in Yom Kippur over and over again. The Zerakti Alechem... Mind to hurting. God says to us, I will pour over you um, cleansing waters. The and I will purify you. So Yom Kippur is all about um, purity. And then we get to the Vav, which is Chagas Sukkot. You see, the energy is filtering down. But something now happens in the Vav. And this is when we pick up Lulav and Etro. 
the Vav is shaped like the Lulav. And how many directions do we shake the Lulav in Etrog to? Six. Six. Four directions and above and below. We shake to the six directions and Vav equals six. Mm. So what I'm going to tell you now is like, is like the essence of what I've been leading up to. And this is very, very, very important. The prayers of Sukkot, the Halal of Sukkot, the shaking of the Lulav, Lulav on Sukkot, and the dwelling in the Sukkah is just a continuation of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is critical to understand. But the, the format changes. It's now more in our hands. So you know what it's like. It's on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're telling God, I'm going to do this, and I want to do that, and please help me do this, and give me strength to do that. And then what do we do right after Yom Kippur? We go out and we build the sukkah with our hands. Tachlis, we build a sukkah. And then we take the Arba meaning and we start, we start shaking and bringing in. Hopefully we'll get to what all that means. Shaking and bringing in. But the idea is that the tshuva hasn't stopped. Remember, we're told there's two types of tshuva. Tshuva meyira, tshuva from fear or awe, and tshuva meahava, tshuva from love. So Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur is tshuva meyira. Not that there can't be love there, of course there's love. But the energy is yamim noraim. Nora is awesome. It's like there is an aspect of healthy fear. But then Sukkot is Man Simchatenu, the time of our joy. But the prayers continue. And that's why by all the Hasidic Rebbe's, and I, I saw this myself with Reb Shlomo, Absolutely, for me, for me, the highest davening of the year was Halal and Sukkot Lulav and Etra. And Rabbi Shlomo was many, many times biased for, for Sukkot. The, the joy was Ad Leva Shemayim, but when he would shake Lulav, it would, it would make the, the, the awesomeness of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur pale in comparison. And this was by all the Hasidic Rebbe's. Shaking Lulav and Etrog was like the deepest dominating of the year. And so this is the connection. Because remember, if we're on the inside, we leave Yom Kippur on the inside, well, we stay there. 
But then the question is, well, how am I going to stay there? How am I going to practically um, fulfill all of my New Year's resolutions? That's what happens during Sukkot. Because from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we're davening and davening and davening and davening and davening. But Sukkot says, okay, now it's time to do. It's time, it's time to do it. So the shaking of the lulav, back and forth from, in other words, actually we start, when you first take lulav and etrog, you take it to your heart. And then you go out and then in. So the first thing is, okay, how am I going to take everything I've been davening for and put it into the world? That's, that's the whole action. And so, interesting enough, the shaking of lulav is extremely practical from a, uh, a, a spiritual point of view. It's a very practical exercise, but it's also one of the most mystical. And then, Hoshana Rabbah, we'll go back over this, but we're on the flow here now. So remember, during Sukkot, each day of Sukkot, we make one revolution of the shul, and we do what are called Hoshanas. Special prayers, we, we, we pray that God saves us. So here's another important thing. It's like if Sukkot is only Zman Simchateno Labriyut, is only Zman Simchateno, but why are we crying out Hoshana? Hoshana means literally save us. Because as we, for those people who came late, we discussed that from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, there are 22 days. From Aleph Atav. And that's like one long day. It's one energy continuum. You know, like the time-space continuum. So we have Rosh Hashanah, the Simchas Torah continuum. There's really no break. There's no break. So we go around the shul one time, and, and you know it's very serious, like Hoshana. It's like for real. All of us are old enough to know that anything can happen at any time to anyone. And we know this. So, on Sukkot, it's Hoshana. We're getting ready for... Remember, we're still in the bubble of, of, this, of the new year. And this, by the way, this is an aside, but a very important aside. Many people ask, if the new year begins on Rosh Hashanah, why don't we end the Torah the week before Rosh Hashanah and start with Bereshit and Rosh Hashanah. We even say in Rosh Hashanah, this is the birthday of the world. Mm-hmm. Why? And, and if you think about it, this is a dynamite question. A dynamite question. It would seem that would be the, the most logical way to, to uh, order the readings in the Torah. But we only start Bereshit after Simcha's Torah. And the reason is because the new year doesn't, in a sense, really begin till after Simchatar. Because from Rosh Hashanah to Simchatar is one day, conceptually. 
It's one day. So then on Hoshana Rabbah, we make seven revolutions. And this is something we, we learned from Rav Shlomo. Not many places do this. But first of all, you have to know something that I should have said before, that uh, we're taught, even though we have the image of Ne'ilah being the end of the ten days of repentance, the gates are closed, and all of that, but we're taught from what are called the Nevi'im HaRishonim, meaning the first prophets, that the end of judgment is only on Hoshana Rabbah. This is not a later development, a Hasidic idea, or even from the time of the Mishnah or the Gemara. It's from the Nevi'im HaRishonim, going back to the first temple. That the, that the period of judgment doesn't really end till Hoshana Rabbah. Now that, perhaps I should have said way before, <clears throat> as understanding how Sukkot and Hoshana Rabbah are, are still part of the same davening. So when we do the Hoshanas, they're very, very specific like save us from this real possibility and save us from that real possibility and save us from this possibility. And then Hoshana Rabbah we go around seven times. So on Hoshana Rabbah, everyone does this. The Nusach, the way we sing the prayers on Hoshana Rabbah are like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Most men wear their kittles on Hoshana Rabbah we say Psuki de Zimra as if it was a full hug. We, like I said, we use the, the Nusach, the, the way we sing the prayers is like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then when we do the seven revolutions, Rav Shlomo learned this from the Baba Varevi. At the end of each revolution, they blow the shofar. They blow the uh, whole set of Shofar bless. Why? To tie everything together. Do you remember one other occurrence in history where we went around something seven times? Jericho. Jericho. We went around seven times, and then what did they do? They blew the shofars, and the walls came tumbling down. So this is Hoshana Rabbah in the deepest sense. What is it teaching us? If there's still walls remaining between you and God that have not been broken down, or between you and yourself that have not been broken down, or you and other people that have not been broken down, you have one more chance here. This is it. So the... the, the the um, Hakafot of Hoshana Rabbah. Um, Rav Shlomo once told the story that one of the Hasidic rabbis, they were in the middle of a kafas, and a man came to him with a, a, an important personal question. The middle of a kafas. And he turned to him and he said, he said, that's a 
type of question to ask me on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Not in the middle of a kafas. Meaning, like, <laughs> the hakafas of Oshana Rabbah are like. And first of all, Hala with Reb Shlomo took about an hour and a half. And I'm not exaggerating. And I can guarantee you, no one was in a hurry. It was. It was. It was beyond awesome. And the Hoshanas also. Hoshanas were like. This is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Hoshana Rabbah all wrapped up in you know just a few minutes, and it is it is very very awesome. And then, if you remember, yeah, Sorry, just a yeah, basic yeah. Really, but why then does it say not only signed but sealed in Yom Kippur? Ah, so so the way they explained is. <coughs> It, 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 it's on Rosh Hashanah. We say, "Rosh Hashanah Yikatevum, Yom Som Kippur Yikatevum." It's sealed, but not delivered. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. That's, that's the image that's given. It's sealed on Yom Kippur, but what happens if there's brand new evidence? <laughs> In a regular court, after they pet, there's an appeal. Guy's found guilty. That's the end. And two weeks later, the lawyer has posted an appeal, and it could be overturned. So that's that's why until Hoshana Rabbah, it's it hasn't been delivered yet. Anything can happen. Still, you make the appeal right after the din. As soon as, you know, as soon as the, the judgment comes down, the lawyers are... Yeah. That night, yeah. it's like you go home and build yourself ah, that night. Ah, very nice. Yeah, we're told that when you come, right after you eat and break the fast, you're supposed to do something to start building your sukkah. Even move a board. In other words, to tie, like we were talking about, like to tie the holidays together. So Hasidus adds something else. It's maybe delivered on Hoshana Rabbah, but it's not opened until Hanukkah. And it's only opened by the light of Hanukkah. And a lot can happen from the time that it's delivered to the time it's read. Is that why? Why we feel so elevated at Hanukkah time is we actually we actually enter into our future for that year. Like well, that's that's what Hasidus says. Hasidus Hasidus says. Meaning we can, as I said before, you can do tshuva anytime, but there are times that are more auspicious, are more ripe. At the time that in, I know the minhag of taking the oil you're going to burn on Hanukkah and hanging up in your sukkah. Ah, okay, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, tying them together, tying them together. And then, there's another one, there's another one, and this is connected to Purim. Remember, Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim, 
Yom Kippur is a day like Purim. Mm-hmm. You're trying to grasp this, right? It, it actually says this. The Yom Kippur is compared to Purim. Now listen carefully. Purim is not being compared to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is being compared to Purim. So, we're told that we're told that Purim is on the surface the exact opposite. Yom Kippur you don't eat and drink. Purim you feast and drink. Yom Kippur you can't do all of these things. Shabbat Shabbaton. Purim there's no it's not a, it's not a holiday in the sense of, of a Shabbat. You can do anything. Yom Kippur is like you know awe. And Purim is like, you know, everyone's out of their gourds. So what, what's the connection? So the answer in the deep, and this is a whole other subject really, but Purim is more of an example to us than Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur it's, it's, not, it's not the Jewish model not to eat and drink, not to have marital relations, um, not to enjoy the world, wear leather shoes, anoint ourselves. Ah, but where would we be without Yom Kippur? And as once a year, we have to experience this. It's very, very important for our souls to experience the, uh, what we call the Inui, the um, afflicting of the body. But that's not the Jewish paradigm. The same is, is asked about Shabbos. Shabbos is called uh, Yom Denishmata, the day of the soul. So the obvious question is, so why are we eating so much? <laughs> if it's such a soul day, maybe we should do like Yom Kippur. But that's not the par- par- Yom Kippur is not our paradigm. Purim is our paradigm. The joy of Purim and enjoying this world and being the Simcha Rabbah, that is our paradigm. So what does it say on Purim? After Esther blows the whistle on Haman, and Haman is hung. So Esther comes to Ahasuerus and says, remember those... Uh, edicts you sent out, could we please rescind them? And he sent out edicts. So Ahasuerus says, that which has been sent out from the king cannot be rescinded. But what can be done? We can send out a new edict. And that's what they did. The old ones weren't rescinded, but a new one was sent to supersede that one. So in a sense, okay, it's red on Hanukkah. But what happens if, if you do tshuva shlema? So there'll be a new edict that will supersede what came before This is this is a gavalt. 
sending out a new edict is annulling the previous one. But, but it's like Ahasuerus didn't tell everyone to burn the previous one. He just sent out a new one, and this now takes precedent. Meaning that we I mean, someone theoretically, Chas Rishonah could be written in one of the books, but a month or two later do such a sincere tshuva that they have to send out a new edict to change it. This is all the assumption that everything has a direct correlation, that our deeds provoke a direct consequence. But we don't always see it that way. Well, and okay. I mean, it's hard to make that shift. You know, when you see, you know going back just to mm-hmm. like, good people for things such and happen. Right. But you know what I mean? It's like... It, it fits really nicely in the equation when you say, hey, you know, do some davening and we're going to try to uh, change the kazera. It doesn't always, we don't always see it that way. Number one, it doesn't always work. Number two, we don't always see it. But number three is uh, we have a basic belief. And without this, I'm not sure how anyone can take any of this seriously. Is we have a basic belief that our thoughts, our words, our actions, our prayers make a difference and can make a difference. Whether God decides to, as it were, listen to us, if God decides to give us what we want, that's almost a different matter. But we do believe, but I just want to say that, that you're absolutely correct because we don't see it always. Sometimes we do. Sometimes, Esther, like you were just telling me, you had to, so you saw it. Like it, it, sometimes we see things just, and we immediately say, that happened because of that. I know it. I did that, so I got that. But most of the time we don't see the code. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. We just don't see it. So I guess yeah. that's why we're advised to pray, pray for the club, as opposed to necessarily asking for direct requests. Then when you pray for somebody else, you pray for a whole kahila. Well, we should definitely do both. Right. You're right. Almost all the prayers are in the plural. But there's certainly a, a, a place to for one's individual prayers. But you're correct. Is like uh, almost all of our davening throughout all of the chagim, every day is all in the plural. So that's for sure. But uh, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that this is one of the, the biggest challenges because if 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 we don't see cause and effect, the direct link, then sometimes we say, well, what are we davening for? I mean, maybe there isn't a, maybe there isn't a direct link. So why am I wasting my time? But that's not what we believe. We believe that it all matters, 
It's all recorded. It all has an effect. And this is actually, the, uh, it answers why we have a, a meal before Yom Kippur. It's like, it's like a very, I mean, there's practical reasons to eat before a fast, but, but it's a holiday meal. And usually before a, sentence, a sentencing, a person doesn't really feel like having a big feast. Like this is like, my whole life depends on this. And yet we're having all feasts. As if to say, Rabboni Shoilam, we've been davening for the last nine days and we're going to continue in Yom Kippur. But I don't know what's really going to happen. I don't know what's best to happen. I trust that you know. And whatever whatever it is, I trust that, that that's that will be good and and I'll and I accept it. So that's a very deep level. But if you don't reach that level, it's like in a sense hard to justify well what am I doing with all this praying? I don't, if I don't really have that basic trust, and as I know that God wants me to, 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 to say what I want to say, but after that I have to have a basic trust. Listen, the Jewish people would not have survived emotionally, psychologically, spiritually without this belief. We've gone through so much as a people that if we didn't have that belief, there's no way we would be sitting here in Yerushalayim right now. It's just, we wouldn't have made it. It would just it would have been too impossible. Like, like who needs us? But we do believe it. We do believe that. I mean, how many, how many Holocaust survivors who saw the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst Uh, picked up and started whole new lives. It's like astounding. It's, it's like it's like almost beyond belief that someone could pull that off. It's really, it's like really, it's just. And yet, we as a people, we've done it because we have this basic trust. We have this basic trust. Okay, so along these lines, I want to give over another idea here. I'm going back to Yom Kippur. And interestingly enough, this will fit in very, very well what we've been saying. There's an underlying current throughout all of the Chagim of, I hate to say it, but of death. Because for those who remember in Rosh Hashanah, the part of Musa called Unitana Tokef, where we say on Rosh Hashanah it is written, and on Yom Kippur it is sealed, who will live and who will die, who by water and who by fire. 
who by this and who by that. It's like I got through it this year, but um, there are many years I daven Musaf. Many years that I cannot get through that without crying. It's just like if you just even just think about the words that you're saying, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is like. So, so we have it on Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur. One of the reasons we're given for for men wearing a kittel is it reminds us of the, that we're, we're going to be buried in our kittel one day. On Sukkot, this is something again. Maybe many people don't even think about, but. We know that during the three pilgrimage holidays, we read a book that accompanies each one. With Pesach, we read Shira Shirin. Makes perfect sense. On Shavuos, we read the um, the Book of Ruth. Makes perfect sense. And on Sukkot, we read Kohelet, which doesn't make sense on the surface at all. Sukkot is Zman Simchatenu, the time of our joy. Kohelet, the, the sages had a, a, a huge dilemma whether to include Kohelet in the Tanakh at all. Because if not properly understood, a person could come out of Kohelet depressed. If, if not understood correctly. If understood correctly, it's a, it's a different story, but just reading the words are like it says explicitly, going to the house of mourning is better than going to the house of joy. I mean, all kinds of statements like this. So the question why are we reading Kohelet and Sukkot? So one of the ideas is this trust that we're talking about. That in fact, in the Kavanah that we read on the first night, when we, when we sit in the sukkah for the first time, one of the lines is that, that in the future, when I leave this world, that I will be surrounded, in a sense, with a sukkah-like structure. And what we're told is, why do we go out, outside after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Because like I said before, does anyone know what the New Year is going to bring? I have no idea. So as a sign of total trust in Hashem, we go out and we live in these sukkahs, and we, we expose ourselves to the elements. I remember when we lived in Denver, um, my kids and I, we used to sleep in the sukkah in Denver under, <laughs> like, you know, 13 <laughs> blankets. We used to have, have hats and gloves on. <laughs> and many times we'd wake up in the morning with uh, snow on us. <laughs> so we expose ourselves to the elements to show that, God, whatever it is, I feel I'm in your hands. And many, many, many times 
if you if you talk to people who chas v'shalom um, are in the throes of a life-threatening um, disease or ailment, and they have time to think of their existential reality. Many, many people, you know, don't do so well, but many, many people come to an incredible um, closeness to God, to their family, to their own neshama. They, they make sense out of their whole lives, and and like that. So that's a little bit like circus. And like I say, it's like it's paradoxical. It's a, it's a time of our joy. And here we're sitting outside as a sign that like whatever will happen to us. Then on Hoshana Rabba, there's this very, very interesting minhag that if at twelve at midnight on Hoshana Rabba, um an Indian of if you can see your shadow by the by the moon, because it it has to do with facing your own death. So this is a this is a very very paradoxical theme here because what is Rosh Hashanah? What what are we adding right now? Zachreinu b'chayim, melachafitz b'chayim. Like everything is about Chaim, being written in the Sefer Chaim. Kadvenu b'Sefer Chaim, lemancha Elokim Chaim, four times Chaim. And yet, we we're aware of our frailty. And so there's a, there is this Indian of during the Chagim, in not a negative way at all but in a very um, realistic and positive way, facing your own death. You know the expression, if you're not willing to die for something, then you have nothing to live for. You've heard that expression before? It's said in different ways. That having something to die for gives you something to live for. So this can be in a sense, translated into the Chagim now. That, and truthfully, every time we say Shema, one of the Kavanas is that we should be willing to die, Kiddush Hashem. Not that we, not everyone does it every time they say Shema, but this is one of the Kavanas that we say Shema. Is that if Chas V'Shalom ever called upon we would be willing to die Kiddush Hashem. But that's what gives us strength to live. Yeah. Want to say something? Yeah. Oh. See, this reminds me a lot of living in Israel. Especially if you've lived in Israel through any of the wars or the Intifada or terrorism and you know, sometimes you ask yourself, well, well, am I sure that I want to be here? Right? 
and obviously um, most people in Israel answer yes. But it's a very, very deep thought process. A very, very deep thought process. And I, I mean, this goes along with living here. And probably the, anyone who's been here for any amount of time has, has gone through that. But it's, it's like, it's an important thought process. And, and, and you come to this thing, as you know, I believe so much in being in Israel right now, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. So I, I know that it's a risk. It's a real risk. But I'm willing to do it because I really, really believe in being here. And that, it, that gives us like this purpose. And I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing here. I remember I, had, I once had to face this in the most real way, is when I was in Denver, uh, I was in Denver for the Gulf War. We, went, we, we left Israel in 88, came back in 95. So in, in 1991 I was in Denver, and when they started shooting scuds at Israel, those first few days, especially, no one knew what it could escalate into. It was really like no one knew. It was a time of great unsurety. And uh, when I left Israel, before I had been in the Israeli army, and I knew that in a time of war, that if you're living in Chutzot, you do not have to go back but that many, if not most, Israelis do go back. And so for about a week I, I went through a very excruciating um, thought process as what will I do if things get really bad and people are and they're starting to call people back. It was like it was, I, I, I didn't sleep very much for a week. And, and at the end, and I, I met leaving my family there on top of it. And it was just like, what, what am I going to do? Or what will I do? And in the end, I came to the conclusion that if it got bad enough and they were calling people back, I would go. In the end, it didn't come to that, but it was it was such a real and heart wrenching um, process that I had to go through. But it, it's it, it, and I felt in, during it very shaky. But at the end, it, it, it strengthened me tremendously. It strengthened me tremendously. So this is a theme. It's actually it's below the surface, though. It's not like what's called bolet. It's not like sticking out there. But it's like it's below the surface. So one of the <clears throat> there's a, a beautiful hint to this in Kol Nidre. <clears throat> Kol Nidre, and this is good to know. Anyone who did not do Hatarat Nadarim, uh, annulment of vows. <clears throat> you can still do it until Yom Kippur, and if you don't, 
you can fulfill your obligation by hearing Kol Nidre. This is just a practical matter. So the word neder is a vowel called nidre. Nidre is plural for neder. A neder is a vowel. And everyone knows the power of called nidre. Right? You first walk into shul and it's just that first prayer is like It's interesting that the first prayer and the last prayer of Ne'ilah kind of like get us to the same place. So neder, there's a way to read the word neder as nun dar. The letter nun dar means to dwell. Like an apartment is called a dira. To dwell is dar. Nun dar, the nun is dwelling. What's Nun? Nun is numerically 50. And this is always connected to what are called the 50 gates of understanding. Nun Share Bina. The 50 gates of understanding. And we're told that Moshe reached the 49th gate, and that was it. Even Moshe Rabbeinu only reached the, the 49th gate. But others say he really did reach the 50th gate when he died with the kiss of God. The kiss of God was his entrance into the 50th gate. So remember the picture of Kol Nidre. All and actually, actually, most women have a custom of wearing all white, also. So everyone's dressed in white, and and it represents two opposite things. One, it represents purity, hope, light, spirituality, godliness. But on the other hand, we're told very, very clearly, uh, especially men wearing their kittel, that it reminds us of our day of death. So we start Kol Nidre also with this, like both, like we're full of hope and we, we were anticipating God's atonement and, and, and total soul purification. But what happens after you die? Before you're buried is you do a tahara, called a tahara, a, a process of purification to prepare the body for, for burial. And I'll share another personal story with you that uh, my, my father, Allah Shalom, um, passed away on, Z- on Zion Tishrei, and he was buried Erev Yom Kippur. And Erev Yom Kippur, you don't say a hesped. You don't say a eulogy. But at the same time, you can't not say anything. So, I'll never forget 
standing at literally the open grave with my father in the grave and saying, I mean, this might sound funny, but I meant it seriously. I said, like, well, if you had to go, I can't think of a better time. Because all of Israel is about to go to the mikvah. You just went to the mikvah. All of Israel is going to fast on Yom Kippur. You're not going to eat and drink. Everyone's going to wear their kittel and their talus. You're wearing your your white shrouds. So I said, so I, I, I can't think of a, a better time to leave this world. And I was just like, and, and see, on top of that, I had no shiva. Because of that, I sat down in the cemetery for five minutes. I took off my shoes, sat in the cemetery, put my shoes back on, jumped into the whatever it was, cab. We went to the airport, flew back to Denver. I got to Denver. Uh, um, I didn't have time to go to the mikvah on the other side of town, but there was someone at a mikvah in their house that they usually open just for women on Shabbos. Because at that time there was only a mikvah on the other side of town. So religious women had no place to go. So they made a mikvah. So I asked if I could go to the mikvah. They said yes. Went to the mikvah. And someone came over with a suda havra'ah. And I sat for one hour, got up, put on my Yom Kippur clothes, and went to show. That was the end of, of Shiva. So it was like, that's when I really understood this, this underlying current to, to that. And, and actually, the, the Yom Kippur was, was very uplifting. It was very uplifting me I started saying Kaddish. So also, like, what what a better time to start saying Kaddish than on Yom Kippur. Like, so, not, obviously I'm not saying anything to depress anyone, or, but I, I, I'm just pointing out in a positive way, in a positive way that there is this theme starting in Rosh Hashanah. Like I said, we said it. Who will live and who will die? And, and none of us know, truthfully. We don't know. So all we do is try to get close to God. And when you get close to God, then no matter what happens, it will be okay. It might hurt, but it will be okay. This is like such a deep understanding. So, yeah. Can you say a few words um, before uh, how this ties in to Sukkotorah? Yes. Okay. Yes, we have to end with Sukkotorah. Yeah. What you just said, I think, ties in to answer your question. 
it's not about a woman, it's about getting to that place, what you just said, of it's all okay. It might hurt, it might be painful, but it's all okay. And if you can get to that place of tshuva, then the question of why do bad things happen goes away completely. Uh, actually, that whole thing was launched by what you had said, that whole last part. <coughs> A famous story of someone went to the Lublina Rebbe and said, Rebbe, um, I'm having such a hard time in my life. Uh, I, I don't know how to, how to deal with uh, all these things that are going wrong. So I, I don't have the basic Amuna. So I said, oh, oh, you want to learn about Amuna when things aren't going right? Go to Reb Zusha. So he goes to Reb Zusha. Reb Zusha lives in this broken down hut. All of the furniture is broken. They barely have what to eat. They barely have what to wear. And the man comes and says, the, the Lublina Rebbe sent me to you. He said, you could teach me um, like how to deal with uh, adversity. He says, adversity? What adversity? Uh, why would he send you to me? And he was like, he was like, I don't understand. Why? Why? <laughs> so he learned. What, the man learned what he had to learn already. <laughs> and he said, "Thank you very much." <laughs> and he left. Okay, um, everyone can take these. I'm going to just take five minutes to, to tell you what you can do with this. This over here, this box, the truth is a whole, this whole box is a book. And it was interested, it's called Living in Divine Space from Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg. But where he gives over this meditation which he calls the most basic of all Jewish meditations, where you construct around yourself a six-sided cube, and you are in the middle of the cube, because a cube has six sides, four sides and above and below. And he explains that these six sides are what are called the six continual mitzvot as taught by the Rambam. Rambam, Maimonides, teaches that there are six me, continual mitzvot. And you'll see them in the, in the middle. Belief in God, belief that there is no other God, belief in God's unity, love of God, fear of God, and shielding the mind from destructive lusts and desires, which is lotaturu. I'll do this very quickly. Belief in God is Anochi, first of the Ten Commandments. Belief that there's no other God is the second of the Ten Commandments, Lo Yiyah. Belief in God's unity is the Shema. I'm sorry, I'm going fast, but we have no choice at this point. Belief in God's unity is the Shema. Love of God is Vehafta at the Shema Lokecha. Fear of God is the verse, What does God ask of you? other than to fear Him. 
And the last one is shielding the mind is in in the parsha Tzitzi. Lo taturu don't go after your heart and your eyes that you you lust after. So as you think of each one of these things, you think of a direction and you create around yourself a spiritual force field. And you're in the middle. Now this obviously is connected to sukkahs. Because we sit in a sukkah, surrounded on six sides. And we shake lulav to the six directions. There's much more to this. You can add, if you want to write next to it, uh, each one of these directions is connected, and mitzvah is connected to one of the ushpizin. So, number one is Moshe. Number two is Aharon. And there are reasons for all this, which I can't explain right now. Number three is Yaakov. Number four is um, Avram. Some of these are, are self-evident. Love of God. So we know that Avram is chesed, love. Left is Yitzchak. Yitzchak is Gevura, the fear of God. And six is Yosef. Don't go after your heart and your eyes because he, that was his test. That was his test. Number one, just to go back quickly, Moshe is belief in God because he's the one who went up to Har Sinai, up, and brought down the Torah, which the Ten Commandments, which had the belief in God. Aaron is connected that there are no other gods because he's involved with the golden calf. And Yaakov is connected to the unity of God. Because if you remember the Rashi, what was Yaakov doing when he met Yosef after 22 years? It says Yosef fell on Yaakov's shoulder and cried. What was Yaakov doing? Saying the Shema. So Yaakov is connected to the Shema. So I'm doing this in one minute, but everyone please concentrate. Because I guarantee you, this will make your shaking lulav infinitely more meaningful. We shake to the six directions. And we shake three times each direction. <coughs> three times six <coughs> equals 18 is chai. Remember? Zachreinu l'chaim. Melechafetz b'chaim. It's all about chaim. So when we shake out what we are, what we are trying to do is is we're asking God, give me life force. And then what do we do? We bring it into the heart. We are bringing life force into us in a very like real way. But as we shake to each direction, you can think of one of the mitzvahs. And, and that mitzvah is connected to one of the ushpizim, which is connected on the right-hand side to a, a, a midah. So here's an example. Okay, When you shake to the right, this is love of God. 
So when we're shaking, and like I said before, the Hasidic rabbis used to take an hour or two hours to shake lulav. For real, this was like like the highest davening of the of the of the, of the year. So when you shake, let's say, to to your right, this is Abraham. It's the love of God. So one can meditate on, first of all, just loving God. What does that mean? How does that feel? How can I do that? How can I feel closer to God? How can I express my love God to God more? But while we're doing that, we, we learn that how, how do we express our love of God? It says, Love your neighbors yourself. I am God. So the Hasidic Rebbe is explained, why does the sentence have to end, I am God? So the answer, if you want to love me, love your fellow Jew. So then we can start meditate on, meditating on, am I fulfilling this mitzvah? How can I fulfill that mitzvah better? Is there anyone I have a problem with loving? What can I do about it? So remember, the Sheikh and Lulav is very mystical, but it's very practical. And then it's connected to Avraham. Then one can start thinking of how can I, how can I see in Avraham's life things that I would like to attain? Is my home open? Am, am I willing to leave everything? Lech lecha and follow God? And, and one meditates on the qualities of Abraham. But remember, each time is to bring it inside. Now you can do this for all of them. Let's say the, the, uh, when it's the unity of God. How many times do we take the time to really think of, well, what does that mean that God is one? How do I understand God's unity in the world? How, yeah? Something that really helped me with this was actually up the ladies' day at the Moshav, the paragraph after the Shema, the Yatsif and Actually, you read about Hashem with his more human qualities. Mm -hmm. We'll put it in a more human way. It kind of helped bridge okay. that gap. Yeah? The possibilities are infinite. Yeah. Infinite. <clears throat> so each time we shake to the direction, it becomes a whole meditation. And remembering the whole time that we're creating, we're surrounding ourselves, like the sukkah. We're, we're surrounding ourselves with divine energy. Like when we shake to, like, fear. So then we ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid of this? What can I do about it? I'll never forget. I'll never forget when the Intifada broke out, Arab Rosh Hashanah, in the year 2000. And if anyone was here, those first 10 days were traumatic, to say the least. Traumatic. And things were spinning out of control. Every day, like, 
the most horrible things were happening. And there was definitely a feel. It was the all. It was one of the only time. Well, the whole two and a half years until we got control of the situation were was tough. But those first ten days, I'll never forget shaking um, in my uh, sukkah right across our hill is an Arab village, and I'll never forget shaking. <laughs> to that direction and thinking about what is what is going on and what kind of strength we're going to need to like stand up to this it was so real i, I mean most years i do it very like very theoretically but this it was like absolutely real <laughs> in real time and it was like it was like very powerful okay Simcha's Torah. Okay, so uh, we get to Simcha's Torah, and this is the culmination. This is the culmination of of everything. If you go to this uh, upper right, it's the bottom hay. Now it's no accident that what do we do in Simcha's Torah? We dance with our feet. That on Sukkot, okay, we were now like like hands on, right? But Rabbi Nachman would teach, how do you know if you're really joyous? If you can dance. If you can let go of your inhibitions and dance, then you know that you're really joyous. It's one thing to sing, tap on the table a little bit, right? But if you can get up and dance, and that's real joy. So Simcha's Torah represents the full integration of all of the holidays up to then. And also I had the, uh, the privilege to be with Rev Shlomo twice in Simcha's Torah. And he, uh, he, he, was, he was joyous, but in a sense, serious at the same because he understood this is this is the end. This is this is the end of it all, and like still trying to put it together. Now there's a beautiful connection. Remember, we said that from Rosh Hashanah the simplest Torah is 22 days. This is, this is really beautiful. On simplest on Hoshana Rabbah, we make seven hakafas. In the night of Simcha's Torah, we make seven akafas. And then during the day, we make seven akafas. What does this equal? 21. The 22nd hakafas are what are called hakafot shniot. That after Simcha's Torah is over, then they bring the Sifrei Torah to all the um, the shuks and the, and the city centers and bands and they do what are called another round of akafas. So that's like the 22nd. That's like the whole the whole thing. The whole thing. So the the uh, 
there, there's a challenge with Simchas Torah because in certain places there's a lot of drinking that goes on and uh, sometimes the scene gets more like Purim and more it gets out of hand and that's not what Simchas Torah is about Simchas Torah is like the deepest joy in the world and the truth is if, if someone needs a little shot of vodka to, to help them to dance then it's a, it's a good thing but when all of a sudden the, the, the drinking becomes something else it's not good it's not good so there's is, I mean, people could drink three bottles as long as they keep it in, in the framework of what Simchas Torah is about I'm, I, I personally myself never drink anything on Simchas Torah because I, I I want the joy to come from just a pure pure place though like I said some people do need it and that's okay it's okay not everyone can just get up and dance so if, so if you need it it's, it's okay but I'm going to end, and then we're going to do our, our musical meditation at the end with one of my favorite Torahs in the world. That on, you have to remember, in, in Israel, Shemini and Sarat and Simchas Torah are the same day. And Chutzarts are two separate days. And Shemini and Sarat is when we make the transition from Marie to Tal. He makes the dew to fall, and we start saying Mashiv Ruach Morita Geshem. So, there's an unbelievable teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. His students gave this over there. When the, the Baal Shem Tov, right before they would make the transition, Mashiv Ruach Morita Geshem, so he would go like this. He would say, Mashi Baruch Umorid Hageshem. So, what does that mean? Mashi Baruch literally means he makes the wind to blow. So, Mashi Baruch, he makes the wind to blow. Umorid Hageshem. And he makes the rain to descend. So that make so his motions made sense. Mashiva ruach umoridagesha. But the Balsham explained it differently. Listen to this explanation. Now first you have to know that the word for wind is also the basis of the word in Hebrew for spirituality. Ruach, ruchniyut, means spirituality. Ruchnius. Is spirituality. The word for physicality is the same in Hebrew is the same word as Gesha. Gashmiut. Okay? Did you, did you it, was the English. it means a physicality. Okay. But it's the same root as Gesha. Okay, so remember, Mashiv Haruach. The Ruach is the same thing as spirituality and Gesha. So he would say like this. Remember, this is at Shemini, at Sarah, he'd say, enough of the spirituality. 
it's time to bring it into Gashmiut. Which is what we've been trying to do all of Sukkot. But he would do it very dramatically. Like, enough of this praying. We've had enough of prayers. Now it's time. Like, Nike. Just do it. Just do it. This captures the whole flow of Rosh Hashanah, the simplest time. Right? Now it's time to do it. And that's how we end the the Chagim. And then we start from Bereshit, because only then can we start the year. So I'll end with a bracha. End with a bracha that we should... Remember, we're still at the beginning here. Okay, we're still at the beginning of this process. We've got a long ways to go. But the bracha is, is that like we don't take our eye off the ball. We see that this is one process, and we, and we follow the flow, and let one chag go into the next one. But really, it just becomes more and more intense, and more and more real, and more and more uh, actual. And we should all be blessed with Chaim, should all be written in the book of life. We should all have Parnasa, our deepest longings of our heart. We should find the words to express them, and we should find the means to put them into reality. Everyone here who needs to find their banner Batzug should find it this year. Everyone who needs to have children grandchildren should have that tremendous blessing. Should all have good health. A heart should be full of joy. And the world should see a real geula this year. Real redemption. Should come to the whole world. Shem should protect uh, Jewish people. And come. Everything good. Everything good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Now what we like to do, this is, this is in a sense what we try to do every week is exactly what we've talked tonight is we try to take these teachings and then through music to to integrate them Just before we go into the, the meditation, I just want to um, remind everyone to uh, that there's a contribution box and it's suggested 30, 30 shekels. And, um, and just thank you for coming and thank you, yeah. Abby. And if you haven't signed the sign-up sheet, please yeah. sign it up. And sign the sign-up sheet, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone, everyone who is able should try to put the contribution into this beautiful yeshiva continue to exist and grow. Um, if people can't, then no one's looking. 
Um, and if, if there's anyone here who I don't have your email, did you get my email? Okay, okay. Uh, if there's anyone here who I don't have their email, please give me their email um, because uh, our organization, Orchadash, works very closely with Yeshivat Simchatsoma, but we have our own things also and we'd like to tell you about them. So please write down your email and just give it to me on a slip of paper and we'll put you on the email list. Before you begin your meditation, I learned to read from the Catholic class that when one is given a bracha, one should give a bracha back. He gave us a beautiful bracha. So, may Kodesh Barhu be Mekayim, your tefillahs for the good. Amen. Amen. Okay. So the image that I would like to... Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Not something I want to do. No, I was at the Hachim Satsay Fatara. I was at the Hachim Satsay Give him my warm regards. I will. Thank you. Shana Tova. Okay, so the image that we want to conjure up here is <coughs> closing the gate behind it. Let's try to really imagine what it means to be on the inside of the inside. To have a to have yachidus, to have a private audience with Hashem. And then to take that experience into the sukkah and imagine how being in the sukkah is on the inside of the inside. We're absolutely surrounded with Hashem's light and protection and presence. And what it feels like to be in the middle of, of this divine space, this cube that we learned about and that how we can be there anytime. So this, this is what I'd like everyone to have in mind.
Thank you all for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for teaching. Yeah, I'll see you on so long. What? Mm-hmm. Do you know, it's not his, it's, it's from, but I can't remember who's... In the Lena Shema he brought this out. But it's, yeah, it's, it's here in the building, I'm not sure, it's something like that. Hey, how are you?